Well, I don't have to tell you that this is the second holiest Sunday of the year. That is why I'm wearing a green shirt and a golf tie. And if you don't understand, we have prayer teams at the end of this service who will receive your request for repentance. And so I'm going to start with a story about some golfers. And they finished their round and they're in the clubhouse around a table having some lunch. And on a counter behind them, a cell phone goes off. And this one guy just reaches back and he hits the uh, speaker option and just uh, hears a voice. Hello, honey, is that you? Are you at the club? He says, yes. She says, well, I'm at the mall and I've just found this beautiful leather coat, but it cost a thousand dollars. What do you think? Well, if you like it that much, go ahead. I want you to be happy. Oh, thanks, sweetie. And also, I was by the Mercedes dealership, and they've got these 2010 models out, and there's one that is $80,000. It's silver. It's so beautiful. He says, well, if we're going to get that, I want it with all the options. Oh, thanks, honey. One more thing. That house we've been looking at, it's back on the market. They're asking $950,000. He says, well, make them an offer for 895 and see what they say. Oh, thanks. You're so wonderful. Love you. Love you, too. All the guys around the table are just staring at him in astonishment. He says, anybody know who that phone belongs to? <laughs> you ever wondered whether or not a call was really for you? We're in this series looking at different calling texts in the Bible. And we've been stressing the idea that we're all called. And what we've been stressing has been messing with some folks. Because literally someone told me that the other day. You know, this has been messing with me. In the last four weeks, I've had more conversations about finding my call than I've had in the last four years. I've had conversations with people talking about changing careers. Going back to school. And one of the things that's encouraging to me is that so many people are taking seriously the pursuit of their calling. But even though the stirring is strong, a lot of these people are wondering, how do I know if I'm getting a clear signal from the Lord or not? Or to put the question this way, how can I be sure this isn't a wrong number? Every Christian is to live a called life. And if you didn't hear the first lesson in this series, you might want to go back and do that because we looked at probably 20 texts that use that word calling. And we saw that every one of us is called by God to be saved. Every one of us is called by God to live a holy life. And every one of us is called to be a kingdom difference maker. Now, we're all called to be saved in the same way, by putting trust in Jesus and His atoning work for us on the cross. But we're not all called to make a kingdom difference in the same way. God has unique callings for each of us. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and in verse 10, God has made us what we are, and in Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us To live our lives doing. 
Did you know that God planned in advance for you to be about things that are going to make a kingdom difference? And I must confess, I don't think the church has always done a good job of teaching this. I'm not sure we've done a good job of teaching the concept that God has a calling on your life. Oh yes, we believe God has a calling for missionaries and and maybe for a few preachers. But we haven't done a good job of saying God has a calling for you. He's prepared in advance good things for you to live your life doing. But I think there's a greater failure. And that is, we haven't equipped people to hear the call. Some of us, like me, were actually raised in churches that said God doesn't even speak anymore anyway. And if you don't think God ever speaks, you're not listening. And so many of us were never taught to listen for God's call. One of the things that dawned on me is I've talked with all these people. If I'm going to do a series on calling, I need to do a series on listening. So just know that I'm reading and studying. And sometime in the future, I want to do some sermons on how do you listen to the voice of God today? Because if you don't know how to listen, two bad things happen. One is that some people try to answer a call that God never sent. They're trying to answer a wrong number. We've all seen people who try to do things God never called them to do, and it's a disaster. Uh, this is an extreme example, but in my first ministry in Abilene, there was a young man in our church that had some, some mental handicaps. He was a sweet young man. And we loved him and he loved us because church was a safe place for him. But he got very angry with me one time because he decided that God had called him to be a preacher and he wanted me to get him into a Christian college. Well, number one, I couldn't do that if I wanted to. But second, I didn't try because I knew it would be an impossibility. Not only that, I knew it would have been cruel To set him up for that kind of failure. God had not called him to preach. But God had called him. And we found ways that he could serve that affirmed him and were consistent with his gifts. But that's an extreme example of trying to pick up the phone when it wasn't for you. But I think something worse happens. I think a lot of times people don't pick up the phone and the call is for them. And whether it's ignorance or disobedience, they don't answer the phone. Because they don't know how to listen for the call of God. And I reflected on this, and I want to do some more teaching on this in the future, but I realized I can't wait until I've got more of that figured out to talk about it. And, and God impressed on me a verse in Nehemiah chapter 2. Do you remember Nehemiah is going back to rebuild the wall? And I think we'd all agree he was called by God to do this good work. But notice he said in chapter 2 that I hadn't told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Now my question is, how did he know God had put this call on his heart? Because I read the book of Nehemiah again from start to finish and not one time in the book does God audibly speak to Nehemiah. Now, apparently God did that to Abraham and God did that to Moses and that's how they got their call. 
But God never audibly speaks to Nehemiah, but he is convinced God has put a call on his heart. So my question is, how did he know that was the right number and the right call? And so what I did is I just read and reread the first two chapters and reflected and prayed. And I feel like I gleaned some principles that are a good start for us in this quest. And here's principle number one. I think you should suspect a call that is not urgent. Now, you remember that Nehemiah lives in the capital of Persia. He's got an important job. He's the cupbearer to the king. When the Persians conquered the Babylonians, they allowed the Jews in exile who wanted to go back to Jerusalem. And a a number have gone back. And they've been back for some time, including Nehemiah's brothers. Well, they come all the way back to see their brother for a visit. And his first question, how are things back home? Look what they said in chapter 1, 3, and 4. They said, those who survived the exile are back in the province in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, before I read the rest of that, you've got to understand. Jerusalem was God's city, the place where he had put his name. When you heard Zion, you thought Yahweh. So what does it say to all the peoples of the world if the city that bears Yahweh's name is in ruins? And so Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, I sat down And wept. Let me tell you something. A call from God is almost always going to come with a burden for how things are. And a vision for how things ought to be. Something is going to crush your heart. Robert Moffat was one of the first missionaries in Africa. In the early 1800s, he's back in England on furlough, and he's speaking to college students. And he says, where I live in Africa, there is a plain to the north. And some days when I get up, if the sun is right, I can look on that plain, and I can see the smoke of a thousand villages that have never heard about Christ. And there was a young medical student in that audience And that one phrase, the smoke of a thousand villages, crushed his heart. After the lecture was over, he walked up to Robert Moffat and young David Livingston said, Would I do for Africa? You see, a burden starts with a heart that breaks over something that is breaking the heart of God. It's a gracious Work of the Holy Spirit putting internal pressure on your soul. So let me ask you this morning. What does your heart break for? Teen moms? Kids with no dads? The elderly? The poor? The lost? Where does your heart break? 
See, in a sense, every call of God is urgent. But I get every week a dozen calls from different people about different ministries and different organizations. And every one of them is legitimate and every one of them is important. But here's what I've learned. If it's a call for me, the pressure on the inside will be as great as the pressure on the outside. And the Holy Spirit will start to work on my heart. But then you got to be careful. Because that burden starts to grow and you start to feel something well up inside and you're thinking, this is not how it ought to be. This does not bring honor to God. And then you start to think about how busy you are. Reject the temptation to respond with a busy signal. Nehemiah had a very important and a very demanding job. He had a ready-made reason not to pick up the phone. He could have said, that is terrible. I feel so bad for Jerusalem, but what can I do about it? I live a long way away. I'm just one person and I've got a busy job. But you see, while his occupation was cupbearer to the king, his preoccupation was the glory of the king of kings. Let me ask you, when has God ever called the idol? Think about that. Has God ever said to one of his angels, Hey, what's that guy down there doing? And the angel says, Not not much. Uh, Video games. Facebook. TV. And God says, Oh, well, let's call him. That's just who I'm looking for. God never calls the idol. David and Moses were tending their flocks when they got their call. Gideon was threshing wheat. Amos was picking figs. James and John were mending nets. Peter was fishing. Matthew was collecting taxes. God never calls people with nothing else to do. He calls people with nothing better to do than make a kingdom difference with their lives. What happens is that we let Busyness be our cover for cowardice. We're afraid to get involved. And so the easy fallback is, oh, that's so bad. But I'm so busy. So I'm about to lay something heavy on you. This one's worth remembering. If you are overextended, you are undercommitted. Now go home and chew on that one. If you're overextended, you're undercommitted. If you have said yes to so many things that you can't say yes to the most important things. You're not too committed. You're not committed enough. Louis Palau, the famous evangelist, tells this story that he's up in Nova Scotia for this big campaign. He's going to speak the first night, and Billy Graham is going to speak the second night. So he's out there speaking, and, and there's this huge crowd out on this plane. And Billy Graham comes, and he's wearing this 
dark hat and dark glasses, and he just sits down on the grass at the back, and nobody recognizes him. And so at the end of the message, Louis Palau invites people to receive Christ. And there was this old man at the back, and he was just listening intently to every word. And so as they start to sing, Billy Graham taps him on the shoulder and says, Would you like to receive Christ? I'll walk down with you. And the old man says, No, I'm going to wait for the big dog tomorrow night. Now, I could make a lot of points about that story, but I'm just going to make one. Billy Graham's burden is lost people. He's never too busy to ask one more person if they need to receive Christ. God is never frustrated by your lack of ability. But he gets extremely frustrated by your lack of availability. And so be careful of using busyness as a cover for cowardice. If God is doing a work through the Holy Spirit on your heart, be committed enough to pick up the phone. How do I know the calls for me, though? Here's principle number three. Expect prayer and fasting. To decrease the static. See, I think one reason we have trouble hearing God's voice is we're never quiet enough to listen. And so look at the rest of verse 4 with me. After he had sat down and he had wept over the city, he said, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. Before the God of heaven. By the way, for some days actually turned out to be four months. You do not step into a call before you have knelt into it. You see, God loves to grant wisdom and discernment. Read the prayers in the New Testament, especially of Paul. Every time he says, I pray that God would fill you with wisdom and spiritual understanding. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. God loves to give wisdom and discernment to people who ask. And that time alone with God will start to clear up that static. And it will provide the context for what I think is perhaps the surest signal that you're getting a call from God. And I think it is the gift of peace. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Peace is God's gift to the praying heart. And so, when I consider over 20 years ago, What I felt might be God's call to leave Abilene and come here. I must confess there was anxiety. And one of the things I began to pray for is, God, if this is your call, you'll give me peace. And so I still remember my wife and I were in a hotel room in Abilene, Texas. Two former elders of this church, Jerry Davis and Bill New, were there. And we put our arms around each other and began to pray. And while Bill was praying, and now what I'm about to say, some of y'all are going to think I'm wacky. But those of you that think that thought I was wacky before you came, so it really doesn't matter. (laughs) 
while Bill is praying, a physical sense of peace descended. It was so heavy, I felt it. I didn't just perceive it in my head. I felt it. And from that point forward, the signal was clear. You say, why was that important? Because the first two years here were hard. This church was, was in a disastrous debt mess. My first five years at this church, I got one small cost of living raise trying to raise three kids. And we were scraping to get by. I never once doubted if I should be here. Jamie and I never once said, do you think we made the wrong decision? Because the peace of God was too heavy. Isn't that a paradox? That if God gives you a call, your heart can be burdened and full of peace at the same time. Now, only a message from God can do that. Principle number four. You need to respect the feedback of those who keep the lines open. If it's a calling from God, it will be confirmed by His people. So this burden that was on Nehemiah's heart was a burden that had to be shared and affirmed. Chapter 2 then, it says, I said to them, the people of Jerusalem, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. You see, the people of God will recognize the hand of God on a man of God. And so calling needs to be pursued in community. In fact, calling often comes in community. For example, look with me at Acts 13. When the church in Antioch is meeting, the leaders are together. And it says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. You see, if God really gave the mission, the people of God will give the commission. And they will put their hands on you. And they will pray over you. And they will recognize the Holy Spirit in you. And they will send you off with prayer and support. And so what you need to do is to seek the counsel of people that you know have answered the phone themselves. People that know how to listen to God. That's what we did. I could have given you ten legitimate reasons or problems about coming to this church 20 years ago. And I went to a man named Rubel Shelley, a preacher I respected that knew how to listen to God. And I laid out all of those problems. And he said, those aren't your problems, Rick. You've got one problem. You're afraid. And poof, right between the eyes, 
I got convicted by the Holy Spirit. There may be many reasons to say no to a kingdom work, but fear is never one. And so what you want to do is you want to talk to people that know how to hear from God. Because the people of God recognize the hand of God on a man or woman of God. But you've got to be careful. I'm about to use a terrible pun, so get ready to groan. You've got to be careful because some people are phonies. So here's my last point. You need to neglect the criticism of those with bad connections. You see... You might think, well, if it's a clear call from God, then there's going to be a clear path. No. A call from God may be a call to a ministry full of criticism and opposition and objection. People saying, you got a crank call. See, no longer, sooner had Nehemiah announced this good work. Look what happened. The very next verse, when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, Geshem the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And as you read the book, they never let up. There was constant criticism, constant discouragement, constant opposition to the call of God on his life. See, don't be quick to assume opposition means you're outside the will of God. In fact, I would go so far to say, if it's a real call from God for you, you can expect Satan to try to create interference. I've always been intrigued by this wonderful verse in 1 Corinthians 16 where Paul says, I'm going to stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Isn't that an interesting observation? i got to stay here because there's so much good work here to be done and I know there's good work here to be done because look at all the people trying to stop it. The key is to make sure when you listen to the counsel of other people about your call, they are people whose own hearts have broken over the things that break the heart of God. One of the great joys of the years that I preached in Abilene was changing the lives of college students. To this day, when I travel around the country, almost anywhere I go, someone will walk up. Now they've got four kids and a bald head. But they'll say, you know, I was on the pews when you preached at Abilene. And, and, and I found God. And my life changed. But there's another side to that story. I could tell you a lot of stories. I'll just tell you one. One young man I was discipling, he was a junior business major. And his heart caught fire for God. So much so that he made the decision to enter ministry full time. He thought he heard a call from God. I counseled him to go home and tell his parents. But he didn't come back the next day or two and tell me what happened. In fact, for a couple of weeks, he avoided me. When we finally connected again, I learned that when he went home to Dallas and told his parents of his decision, they went ballistic. 
They made it clear if he expected their continued financial support, he will get his business degree. He will get a high-paying job back in Dallas. He will move back home. He will join the right country club, and he will meet them for brunch after church on Sunday. And he did. I've seen him several times through the years. He doesn't talk about Jesus anymore. Fire's gone. I don't tell you that story to say that if you really love Jesus, you're going to enter full-time ministry. That is not the point. I've already made the point. God has not called everybody to that. It would be a bad thing to try to convince somebody to go where God has not called them. But how much worse is it to stop somebody from going where God has called them? I want to spend my life Holding up the people who are picking up the call. Don't you? So let me give you an illustration of what that looks like. Sidney Cox, where are you sitting? I'd like you to come join me, please. Here she comes. All right. Sidney is a junior at Colleyville Heritage High School here. And recently... She felt a burden and sensed a call from God. Sidney, tell us what that was. Well, um, I found out about a Bible course that's offered to Texas public schools. And I found out that my high school and my district doesn't offer it at all. And so God really challenged me to change that and find a way to get that offered at our district. So what all have you had to do to try to make this happen? Well, so far, it's been a lot of meetings with school officials and superintendents to try to tell them why this is important and I also got 350 signatures on a petition of students from both high schools saying that they're interested in the course and you have met with the school board and with both principals right now let me ask you something it gets better have uh have you had any criticism or any opposition at all well I really believe that God has removed most of the hurdles before we even reach them because there were superintendents at my school before that were very opposed to it. And somehow this year they've gotten replaced. I don't know the story behind it. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so to all the people here who, who might be sensing a call like you did, what advice would you give them? I would really encourage them to go for it. Because, but be, be, be sure to be ready because you don't know what God's going to ask you to do next. Hey, Sydney, thank you so much. That is just awesome. I love you. Thank you. Um, I want to spend my life encouraging people like her and people just like you to make a kingdom difference. Because it's a joyful thing to live in your calling. It really is. It doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean there aren't obstacles and opposition. But when you know you are living inside your calling... It is liberating. There was a 17-year-old boy some years ago. His name was Wayne Elsing. He was contemplating suicide. He didn't seem to be very good at anything, especially school. 
He'd even been fired by his uncle at the shoe business his uncle owned. The week that he was literally thinking about suicide. One of his teachers, her name was Miss Bush, pulled him aside and said, Wayne, I see something in you. I think you could make a big difference in the world. Don't give up. And she never even knew that those words literally saved his life. Well, he finished high school, barely. Knew he didn't have college potential, according to all the tests and standards. So the only thing he knew was a shoe business, so he went to work for a company that was his uncle's competitor. As it turned out, with the right motivation, he was very good. By the time he reached his 20s, he was the vice president of Stride Right Shoe Company. In that time, he became a Christian. Now fast forward to the year 2004. He's in front of his TV, just like a lot of us were when the tsunami hit. And he saw one single image. A shoe washed up by the water onto the shore. At that moment, his heart was burdened. He made some phone calls. Within six weeks, he had gotten 250,000 pairs of shoes to send to Sri Lanka. The next year, Katrina happened. And this time, he sent 750,000 pairs of shoes to New Orleans. He actually started a non-profit entity called Souls for Souls. And by the year 2007, it had grown to the point that he couldn't keep doing his very important job, now president of a major shoe company, and run this non-profit entity. And he had to decide, where do I need to be? And he realized, I get more joy out of giving shoes to those who can't afford any than I do selling them for profit. So now he's full time with Souls for Souls. And he's got a vision. There are 30 million children in the world. Who do not have a single pair of shoes. In America we throw away 300 million pairs of shoes a year. So he has now given away 5 million pairs of shoes. And his goal in his lifetime is to see that every child without a pair of shoes gets one. And so recently there was this big banquet in New York. And of course he's honored for his philanthropy. But he brought a special guest. He brought Miss Bush. The lady that started it all. Here's the point. Maybe God's call on your life. Is to touch the whole world. Or maybe his call. Is to touch and save the teenager. Who will. But if the signal isn't clear. The problem is not. On God's end. And so I'm asking you to start joining me. Let's pray. For God to open our eyes. Unplug our ears and even break our hearts. That's why I've chosen the next song we're going to sing. And while we sing this song, I'm going to give you the invitation.
to come today and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never done that, to put Him on in baptism. Everyone is called to be saved. And that's the first calling you must answer. And as we sing this song, I hope you will be open to the Lord, opening your eyes, unplugging your ears, and breaking your heart. Because what we all want more than anything is to see Him high and lifted up. Let's stand, please, and let's worship.